This is the uppercase A. Ah, the uppercase A. <laughs> I got that. All right. Whoa. <laughs> and this is the lowercase A. The lower case A. <laughs> oh, God. And this is the upper... Enough! Do you want my head to explode? Welcome to part two of our Almost Heroes episode. But before we go into real talk proper, we're going to do a little bit of PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron channel. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex... As we record this, we are ramping up to our uh, Livestream for the Cure segment. But mm -hmm. as this airs, as this drops, we're going to be recovering from the Livestream for the Cure <laughs> performance. I think we're like two episodes after. So things are very fluid when it comes to our patron content, specifically the QVRs. Like, I, I think... I'm not entirely sure when this one drops in in regard of like what, how when the QVRs, the quick video reviews drop. But the point is there there are QVRs there. I'm just not entirely sure which ones match this episode. Uh, I can tell you that we probably have the ones that uh, patron Brandon Curtis requested up by now. He gave me a superhero movie, an Indian superhero movie called Mina Murali. That's on Netflix. And he gave you... Uh, I guess a sci-fi movie, also from India, yeah, called 2.0. So mm -hmm. I bring that up because another thing I know for sure is that this month uh, we have a, uh, our Patreon-exclusive episode is on the movie Suryovanshi, also picked by, wouldn't you know it, Brandon Curtis. Now, those of you who have been around for a while, uh, either on our Patreon channel or just on the main feed, know that... Brandon gave us the movie Singham a few months ago, and that kind of like opened up our eyes, both Alex and mine, to uh, the wonders of what our friend Brandon calls the the cop universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we watched Singham together. Then Alex did a quick video review for Singham too, and I did a quick video review for the movie Simba. All those three movies kind of take place in the same universe. And I guess Suryavanshi is the next step in what Brandon calls the road to Singham 3. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so I, I guess we're watching Suryavanshi, Alex. It's on Netflix. And we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So there is that. There's our... Uh, uh, pre-recording notes there's all the clips that didn't make it into the episodes man i telling you alex i don't know how much of uh what we're recording Contreras corner is gonna make it to the actual episode because i was uh all over the place <laughs> so i think we both were i'll get creative with the chopping yeah it'll, it'll be some it'll be interesting putting it all together and then of course we have contrarians after hours <laughs>
which during the French Travaganza is uh, it's also part of the French Travaganza. We did Matthew Perry uh, this episode, and so it's a Matthew Perry movie that we'll do on After Hours. And it will be a movie that you actually brought up during Contrarian's Corner. We're going to be talking about the whole nine yards. You said that you've seen it. I also remember seeing it in theaters, but that was long, long ago. So almost like watching it for the first time, I guess. I can tell you this. It was, uh, from what I remember, Matthew Perry is playing Chandler again. I am shocked and appalled. (laughs) I'll go even further. I think that Bruce Willis is playing Bruce Willis. I I feel that. Yeah, all that. And then also coming to a close here pretty soon. uh, We've been doing our Roxena miniseries uh, through our Patreon channel. And uh, yeah, we're over 10 hours now of content. So (laughs) if you've ever been curious of the film careers of Dwayne Johnson and John Cena and also of their history-making, record-breaking, once-in-a-lifetime match from WrestleMania 28, we have you definitively covered in that regard. We're heading into the, the, what do you call it? The the normal The postscript. (laughs) Yeah, the postscript. (laughs) The epilogue. Yeah, so be sure to go check that out. Just a dollar will get you in on the entry level, and you'll get to access to the aforementioned Roxena, uh, our audio clips. Uh, you'll see that our additional tiers are available for $3, $5, and $10. So just go throw a buck our way, look around, see what you like, uh, and then you're going to want more because you're going to want to tell us that we need to watch a series of Indian movies or something <laughs> like that. You know, We've got some great patrons out there doing that for us. So check it out. If you have any thoughts, questions, we are the contrarians at gmail.com. You can reach us there on our Twitter page. To all of our current and existing patrons, God bless you. You know, we love y'all. And for those of you who aren't, don't you want to be included in that love? Come on over. Just go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Join the contrarian supplements. And now, Alex, the car bomb that leads to the biggest bomb in Matthew Perry's career, maybe. I would imagine so. Higgins. When I said your music would be a welcome companion, I didn't mean... Don't you know any other goddamn tune? Huh? So, yeah, Almost Heroes, filmed in the fall of 1996. It was originally titled Edwards and Hunt. It was intended for release in summer of 97, but was delayed for a year, as I mentioned, due to a merger between Turner Broadcasting, who finances film, and Time Warner. That led to its release being on May 29th of 1998. Uh, Sadly... About six months after Chris Farley died, he died on December 18th of 1997, at the age of 33, man. That would have meant he was 31 when they were making this movie. Or, excuse me, 31 or 32. Can you believe that shit? He just, he looks older than that. Yeah, but, I mean, everybody looked older back in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is... Something of a cult classic, I guess, is what you would call this, because I, I find myself finding other people that like it in the way I do. Do you guys have a secret handshake? <laughs> yeah. A message like board? Stone cutters. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting, I think, is what I could the n- nicest thing I could say about it without getting into the minutia. Um, the producer on it, Denise DeNovi, said of it. The script was brilliant. We even hired Christopher Guest to direct it. I've thought so many times about what went wrong. I always like to say I have the distinction of making the only unsuccessful Christopher Guest movie. You never know with movies. It's like alchemy. The chemistry just didn't work. It had all the right actors, 
had a great director, a great script, but I think the tone of the comedy was very odd. It also reads better than it played. I wanted it to be quirky British black eider type comedy. And here we have Chris Farley and Matthew Perry. It's just a weird combination. <laughs> I guess before we go into the uh, the quotes here, let me begin with this question. Could you see where someone would think this script and the idea of pairing these two up would work? Yeah. I mean, did you hear me in Contrarian's Corner? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there is there is merit to to this project. Dude, I mean, okay, even acknowledging that I'm not the biggest Chris Farley fan, you tell me, Christopher Guest is directing a movie with Chris Farley and Matthew Perry where they play explorers in the 1800s? Sure, why not? I'm kind of surprised to hear that there's a reference to a script because that... <laughs> there, there were parts of this where I'm like, Julio's going to blame this as like the foundation for the Apatow system. Uh no, I mean, th- these guys know when to stop. Like, Apatow would have <laughs> just touche. kept going and going. That sword fight scene would have gone on forever. Yeah, Chris Farley would still be making animal noises. <laughs> and you have Kevin Dunn. You have, like, uh, Eugene Levy. I mean, you have talent in front of the camera. You have Blue. You had Parker Posey. She was supposed to be uh, Edward's girlfriend, but her scene was cut out. Uh, it was going to be part of the original ending. And then also, I'm glad in that vein, I read this because... The thing I asked is, like, where did Jonah go? We didn't speak of the Jonah character in the first half because it's kind of hard to be facetious about slavery. And I don't know if that was intentional in your end, Julio. I just didn't want to bring it up. I forgot. As... <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but but actually, it, he is uh, an important connection in the French Saraganza. Did you recognize him from no. 3,000 Miles to Graceland? Oh, he was the... The, the first the casualty. Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just disappears. The, they reshot the ending, and he wasn't there. So the Jonah character just disappears after they beat up Kevin Dunn's men. Because I was at the end, I was like, wait, Jonah's not there anymore. It's not, I mean, it. it's supposed to be that he's the slave for Matthew Perry's character. And they make a few jokes about it. That's just kind of like, okay, this is just completely unnecessary. But not to the point uh, where it became distracting. You could tell they thought it would be kind of funny, but it just it doesn't work. I actually thought that his moment where... Uh... You know, they're having the big argument. And Chris Farley is like, who's with me? And Matthew Perry is like, who's with me? And Jenna goes, I'm your slave. What do you think? And Matthew Perry is like, oh, you're right. Thank you. And then he's like, I'm going with Hunt. <laughs> yeah. I'm a man of science, a man of learning, a man who knows how to buy the finest books. Fear will be our breakfast and stark raving terror our daily luncheon. Hey, Mr. Hunt. Writer Tom Wolfe stated that the script was intended to be more of an ensemble piece than a buddy comedy that the studio saw it as. Farley's assistant, Ted Dondonville, stated in post-production cuts were made around the star that targeted paraphernalia characters. He felt that the lost material would have helped Farley's performance. They cut the ensemble scenes first, Matthew Perry second, and Chris's never. I, I want a book like your, like your book on the Halloween franchise. What was it called? Behind the Mask? Taking shape. Taking shape. There you go. And But something like that, but about the making of Almost Heroes. We should try to have that be our first crowdfunded project, <laughs> as you and I write the coffee table book on Almost Heroes. The oral history. <laughs> I volunteer to interview Matthew Perry. Yeah, we both can. I'll be the cameraman or something. <laughs> 
setting up the lighting. All right, Julio, 5%. Who liked this? Or who on Rotten Tomatoes, I should say, liked this? Well, Alex, I told you, the app was only showing me 20 of the of the quotes. And the only fresh one there was from Emmanuel Levy. And when you click on it, it takes you nowhere. Much like this Definitely. movie. <laughs> uh, so I went to the tried and true Letterboxd. And I got a few positive reviews from there. Uh, We're going to start with Jacob, who gave it four and a half stars and says, you don't have to love this film, but if you hate it or can't find humor in it, I don't know what's wrong with you. My guess is you're probably a snob and a dick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I will reveal if I take offense in a little bit. Next, uh, Spantasm gives it four stars and says, This is by no means a great movie, but man, do I love it. I was a huge fan of Friends and Chris Farley as a teen, so this was in the VCR constantly. Still try to watch it once a year or so. Nice memories and very nostalgic. Uh, If not for the part where he says he's a huge fan of Friends, I would think that you wrote this, Alex. Are you Spantasm? Were you trying to like throw us off the scent? No, that, that is not I. Uh, next one, five stars from Bidwell's Ear. Tremendous. He says, a classic and Farley's last starring role. This should be up there among his best, as every scene is hilarious and quotable. Just the fact that they managed to make Matthew Perry funny should earn this one more praise. I mean, come on. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, come on. You didn't think I wasn't going to give this one five stars. Five stars. Yeah, that's a bit extreme. So he doesn't like Matthew Perry normally, but he likes him in this movie. That is that makes no sense. Yep. This is just Chandler in a fucking period piece costume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally, let's close with Alan, who gives it four stars and says, Chris Farley was on the verge of becoming the king of alternate history comedies. It may not be his best film, but it is definitely Matthew Perry's. And it has creamed corn. Creamed corn is all in caps. I is guess it- I don't I don't know yet that if it's Matthew Perry's best. Uh the whole nine yards is like 43, I think, 43%. I mean, but of course, that, that doesn't mean quality. That just means critics. So, so Alex, that kind of sets the stage for, for our real thoughts on Almost Heroes. Kind of recapping what we said in Contrarian's Corner. You came into this rewatch with a solid dose of nostalgia. Uh, rose-tinted glasses, as they call them. But aware that you were wearing them. And uh, I came into this with you expecting me to hate it and with myself expecting to hate it because we did Black Sheep all those years ago and it, it was not my cup of tea. And I found Chris Farley funny sporadically on SNL whenever I caught like him doing his bit for like a little, you know, for like a couple of minutes. But mm-hmm. 90 minutes of Chris Farley is a lot of Chris Farley. If, if it's not your thing. So that, I was not looking forward to this. I remember seeing the trailer back when this movie first came out. Man, the trailer, it's on the DVD I bought and it's bad. It's a bad trailer. I remember feeling bad for Matthew Perry watching that trailer. I was like, man, that sucks. You know, Chandler was my favorite friend. And <laughs> seeing that, yeah, a shitty movie in theaters, that was that was not ideal. Because I was like, I don't want to watch this. And and I'm a big Friends fan. So, alas, so this show finally made me watch it. And, uh, I mean, there's no point dragging it out. I kind of hated it. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. God damn it. I hope you're happy. I hope you have a smug expression 
on your face, just nodding and thinking. Yep, nailed it. I'm trying to think of what it is. Do you like um, like Happy Gilmore? Haven't seen it. Have you seen uh, Wedding Singer's different? That's got Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Um, like the the Water Boy. Like that's a movie I hate, but like from the same you know era that people think was so funny, and I think a lot of people would say have comparable tones and humor. I'm trying to think of other '90s comedies like this. Billy Madison. You seen that? I've seen parts of it. Uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a good call out because Sandler. So many of his roles are just like him getting mad and yelling, and and Chris Farley does the same thing, only you know on a different tone because Farley is a bigger guy. So when he gets mad and yells, it's it's more intense in a way, or it's a different kind of intensity than Sandler's. It's very rare that I find it funny, and I mean. I'm trying to think of a time where, of a moment where he was doing that, and I found it funny in this movie. Like, I, I he made me laugh a couple of times, but it was like more low key stuff. Mm. Like when uh, when he comes out of the bath, and the water is filthy, and there's flies <laughs> just flying around, and he goes, "Well, some of those flies were already there." <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's funny, you know. But that is such a rare low key moment from him in this movie. Mm-hmm. So that is uh but that's only half the problem Alex. The other half the problem is that Matthew Perry is so unfunny <laughs> in this movie. He is even more miscast than Matt LeBlanc was in Lost in Space. He's like okay, so Joey's like a lovable idiot. Chandler's like um like a smug asshole but you just can't help but love him. And then they put him in this and it's just all the smug asshole and there's nothing likable about his character. And on top of that, you know, you're pitting him against this ragtag crew of miscreants that seem like a lot more fun. And it's just like, he just feels like he doesn't belong in this movie. Yep. They, I joked in Contreras corner about how it was brilliant to just basically put his, his Chandler, put him in the 1800s because that would be funny. But but no, it's not funny. <laughs> I can understand how you might think, okay, well, this this could be funny, you know, to, to see just like the contrast between the setting and the the persona that Matthew Perry brings to to the screen. But it's not. It's just it's distracting at best and unfunny, like aggressively unfunny at worst. Because I just kept thinking, it just seemed like such a lazy performance i'm like you're not doing anything different you're just literally you're doing line readings the way that you read the dialogue in friends and i love it in friends but here it just feels like it makes him look like a one-trick pony and yes it was just disheartening you're always so good about i can't tell if you're being sincere not in the first half that scene where he's literally just chandler the my apologies bidwell and then <laughs> You saw her breast. You saw her breast. And it's like, it's basically like Chandler trying to run lines with Joey. Yep. Like <laughs> practicing for some play that he's doing. And yeah, it's it's all the things that little kids would find funny, but don't work in this movie. Like uh, at the end where he's like, I'll save you. And then jumps and misses. Uh, it's like for me in the movie, this movie's had shit that I find genuinely funny in it. So that's not. And yeah, he has no real moments, and he just seems like an asshole. His character does. It's uh, it wasn't a good beginning for Chandler. I mean, at this point, he was already racking up paychecks and shit. But as far as 
<laughs> theatrical releases. Uh, I guess before we go any further, let's. Where was he in France? Because I know you said that this happened uh, in between seasons, right? We are switching back right now. No, we're not. We're not leaving. Well, you're going to have to leave sometime because you both have jobs. And as soon as you do, we're switching it back. There's nothing you can do to stop us. Right, Joe? I don't know. <laughs> what? I don't want to move again. With the... <laughs> I don't care. This is our apartment. And they stole. You stole. <laughs> our apartment. We won that apartment fair and square twice, and I'm getting it back right now. I'm getting it back right now. <laughs> All right. So May 29th, 1998, the fourth season of Friends had just concluded with the one with Ross's wedding, which premiered on May 7th of 1998 and was viewed by 31.6 million Americans. Good God almighty. Nielsen rating of 16.7. These are like Super Bowl numbers. Uh, everyone except Rachel and Phoebe fly to London for Ross and Emily's wedding. Joey embarrasses Chandler while sightseeing in London. Ross and Emily are shocked that their wedding venue is undergoing an early demolition. Monica suggests postponing the wedding, infuriating Ross. Back in New York, Phoebe sheds light on Rachel about the latter still loving Ross prompting Rachel to head to I am exhausted head to London <laughs> and stop the wedding by confessing to Ross later Ross and Monica surprise at, this had to be a two-part episode <laughs> it was <laughs> okay later Ross and Monica surprise Emily by transforming the partially demolished church into a suitable venue Joey becomes homesick but a bridesmaid cheers him up <laughs> homesick he would have been there for like four days or something <laughs> Phoebe repeatedly calls London to get the gang to stop Rachel. After seeing Ross and Emily together, Rachel is unable to tell Ross the truth. Monica and Chandler sleep together, hiding it from the others at the altar. Okay, this is where Ross says, I take thee, Rachel. Uh-huh. Instead of, okay, all right. Instead of Emily's. And was that how the season ended? It was yep. like on that? Oh. Yep. All right. But I mean, the, the I'm... real big cliffhanger is that uh, Chandler and Monica slept together. That was like the big thing. Like, uh, Oh, okay. I'm starting to think these uh, people behind Friends might have known what they were doing. <laughs> so that that would have been a big cliffhanger and a whole... Yep. Okay. And if that's like... Yeah, you're saying that was big for his character. So from the Friends perspective, he had a big wave of momentum riding into this. Yep. Just did not translate at all. He had just hooked up with Corny Cox on the show. So people wanted to see where else could he go. And it was to the 1800s with Chris Farley. Do you think there's any part of this that may have been just he had been dead for six months that bummed people out and didn't want to go see it? <sighs> no, see, I think that that would have made people go see it. Not I was about the other to say, way around. You could look at both sides of that coin, yeah. Like, wouldn't if you're a Chris Farley fan, wouldn't you want to go see his final movie? Dude, because you don't know it's bad. You, you yeah. just know it exists, so you yeah. just you just want to go and. You know, it's the last you're going to get from him, so just catch it in theaters. You better appreciate it, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you, you know, it, it in a way, it should have made it more celebrated because you would think that people would be more willing to overlook its shortcomings just because, well, it's the last we're going to get from this guy. 
and is and he's very Chris Farley there. So you know, mm-hmm. I think that if you like Chris Farley generally, then you're gonna like him in this movie. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Interestingly, kind of on that note, film critic Gene Siskel had a passionate dislike for Chris Farley and his starring vehicle Black Sheep was one of the only three films he had ever walked out of in 30 years of reviewing films. Since the film was released five months after Farley's death, I keep saying six, I'm bad with math, it would have been five. He and his partner Roger Ebert were prevented from reviewing it and Dirty Work, in which Farley had a cameo, and was released the following month after this film. This was out of respect for the Farley family and friends in the entertainment business who were still grieving over his passing. They felt the review and comments about Farley would be negative, and they were not emotionally prepared to deal with this in light of his untimely death. Ebert, on the other hand, liked Farley's work on Saturday Night Live and felt that Farley had just not found the right script worthy of his talent and felt Farley had potential in movies if he was given the right screenplay. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, th- I think it's a good call on, on oh, Siskel. I thought you were going to say no, no. and Oh, on Siskel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on I Siskel. thought you were going to disagree with Ebert and be like, who the fuck are you to argue with Roger Ebert? <laughs> I've argued with Roger Ebert in my head plenty of times. No, I think that is probably... Dude, I have... There's a bit of a tangent, but I have zero sympathy for a film reviewer that gets paid to review movies walking out of a movie. Like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's the starting point. Secondly, though, I think that, yeah, if he... He already knew that he, it's like me, like going in, you know, going into a Chris Farley movie, knowing that I don't like his type of humor. And then Chris Farley dies. I'm like, yeah, I probably, you know, don't want to make my comments when, when things are like really fresh. You just bow down and say like, not for me. That was it. As for Ebert, Chris Farley had such a big personality in movies that, because my, my, my instinct is to say, well, he should have just you know, you should have just had him in small doses in movies, like small parts, um, because he's just too much for me for an entire movie. So in order for it to work for me, he has to be playing a character that is very much unlike what he plays before. And I don't know that that's something Chris Farley wanted or his fans wanted. <laughs> so maybe the best the best case there is for me to just simply stop trying to come up with an alternative career for Chris Farley in that sense. But you are a Chris Farley fan. I mean, do you when you think of his movies, do you think of them as guilty pleasures or do you think that they're genuinely good? I don't think I can honestly answer that. I, I mean, just from what some of those movies meant to me when I was a kid and nostalgically, um, I know that sounds like a cop out. I don't I just don't know if like I could reasonably say in my brain if I think they're like specifically Tommy Boy. Okay, Airheads is an example. Airheads is awesome. That is a fantastic movie. Uh, Tommy Boy would be like the Farley vehicle that I would come closest to saying I could say in my mind and believe it's a good movie. Uh, Black Sheep and Beverly Hills Ninja are not particularly good, but I have extremely strong sentimental attachments to it. Airheads is, yeah, like I said, Airheads has Chris Farley in it, but he has a very, very like toned down background role. (laughs) he's Milton in Wayne's world two, which is literally my favorite comedy of all time. And he just gets a few moments to be Chris Farley in that. And Oh God, it's amazing. This is just like, yeah, I have somewhat of a level of nostalgia for it, but this is just kind of one of those movies that is dumb. Um, but it has the things that I love, you know, full sets, 
wardrobes and you know they even like had a real boat they were on and shit with those wide shots and so it's to me that always makes it funnier when it's a comedy that clearly has employed a lot of people to build the world around it for such a ridiculous like premise like wayne's world 2 for example they're like shit in that movie it's just you know they're at sound stages and stuff and they there's some outdoor sets that they have but it's just very simple something like this it's just such a ridiculous movie that they get austin powers is like a great example of that like all like this is like a full this is a movie this is how you make a movie for such a stupid fucking premise um this drags a bit more than I had remembered, and okay, so it's a tale of two jokes. Poop jokes are not, they do nothing for me anymore. Mm-hmm. So like when Farley's sniffing the buffalo shit, and then when the bird poops on his face at the end, that does nothing for me. I say that now I'm remembering like in Joe Dirt, that particular <laughs> sequence is funny just because the way David Spade sells it, but... So the joke you brought up in the first part about the sheep shit, that is great comedy to me in the sense of <laughs> you take something that's not funny and then do something to make it funny. Like the whole story he tells is not funny at all. But then when like he's like the twist is I have no brother. It was me. And the way he delivers what's that guy's name? I've seen him in other shit before, but the way he delivers it and he's so proud of it and uh it's just that it take that's that's like a wet hot American summer. That's a uh, David Wayne, you know, Michael Showalter style joke where you take mm-hmm. something that's not funny and then make it funny. Um, I had completely forgotten about that, so I did get a pretty hearty chuckle out of that. Um, so you didn't even like. I meant what I said. I thought you might have found it funny the scene where he's trying to tutor him on the letter A. Like that was the closest I came to thinking I could hear Julio laughing here. I don't think I laughed. I I, I mean. At that point in the movie, you were already done. <laughs> I'll give the movie this. I was never done in the sense of, like, fuck this movie. I'm not even taking notes. Did I'm you get through like, it in one viewing? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Like, it's not a long movie, and I was... I mean, I, I stopped a couple times, like I said, you know, kind of like... I wanted to check, make sure, like, that I had my... That I was correct about what I thought of Lewis and Clark. And I was. So that was... It was that, and I wanted to check. There was something else that I, I wanted to look up. Oh, the name of the guy that plays... Uh, what's his name? The guy that plays... That loses the ear. Like, I thought I knew him from something else. But Bidwell. Yeah. But no, that, that was... That scene, I mean, it's... I can see why it would be funny, but it's not, I don't think it made me laugh. Like, I I think I smiled at Farley going... You know, when he has his meltdown and he says something like, uh, why do you keep pushing me? Or why, you know, why are you pushing me so hard? I don't know. It's just really fucking dumb. That, like, the, I laughed at the reveal of like I don't have a brother. Like that made me laugh because I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. I laughed. I, I basically the things that I marked as your potential favorite jokes. Those were the things that made me laugh. Like I laughed at the really dumb reveal of the animal heads with perfect teeth, and I was like, this is just oh really so <laughs> like bizarre. Yeah, that's not really something I found funny. So that that tickles me. And then I don't remember what was the third thing that I I marked as potentially funny for you but the eagle eggs thing oh yeah no yeah that wasn't funny (laughs) oh that that's like your opinion man (laughs) again it's that it's the joke that like it's it's hard to pull off and i'm not saying this is a classic example of it or something that 
should be mimicked. This is the approach you should take. The funny part to me was when he was crying eating the eggs. I thought that was hilarious. But uh, the idea of you take the joke and you keep doing it till it becomes unfunny and then do it and it comes funny again. That That's obviously what they're kind of going for here. Uh, but doesn't necessarily work. You know, a great example of that is um, Tim Meadows and Walk Hard, where you've seen Walk Hard, right? <laughs> yes. The the drugs, the, the bit yes. with the drugs. Yes, because yeah. there's like four or five different moments of that in the movie where it's the, okay, it's funny the first time, uh, not as funny. Uh, Jesus Christ, you're still really doing this. And then when they do it again, it becomes funny again, like that type of thing. Um, I'm not saying they nail that in here because no, I, I found it amusing. Like that, they, they use the same sound effect for the eagle every time, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, that's funny. But I just, I just don't find Chris Farley funny. I think that that's the crux that's of a shame. every every argument we're gonna have about it or every discussion. It's just that I, I believe that there are actors that I would find funny in that same situation. You know, them reacting to the eagle and all that. But I just don't find what he does funny there. It's just really broad and very it's just like a lot of the same uh so it just doesn't work for me and mind you i mean at least i can say that chris farley is doing what works for fans of chris farley whereas matthew perry what is he doing exactly he's not doing he's not pleasing anybody and just around that same time he has this really really cringy moment when uh, after he takes the medicine and he uh he starts convulsing i guess <laughs> you know what i'm talking about like he's yes she gives him the medicine and he's like blah, 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 blah. it's like what is going on dog <laughs> Christopher Guest was overseeing this whole thing, and he didn't think like to do one where he doesn't do that. It's like, hey, okay, Matthew, we got that one. Now let's do one where you just you, you just tone it down. Little interesting tidbit I found here. Uh, oh, so I brought this up in the first portion. Did you know Chris Farley was Shrek was supposed to be Shrek? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was something like between like seventy and ninety percent of it was done uh, his audio recording, and they just scrubbed it. You know, they could have finished it and completed it just by, you know, editing, but it was one of those things that felt weird. So they had to come. Mike Myers came in then and did everything else. Man, it's frustrating. I I know you don't find him funny, but that whole thing, Chris Farley could still be like one of the biggest actors in the world today. Uh, The guy had problems, though. He had some serious demons he couldn't get rid of. So who's to say, but the idea of him being in Shrek and the trajectory that would have taken because that's why mike myers says fuck you money now mike <laughs> myers that's why he has that show on netflix now that's just all him it's just <laughs> like all his idea and all he wants to do it's just because he can be and that's and he's lucky because he's supposed to be a huge fucking cock and so <laughs> good on him for finding that franchise to <laughs> dip his toe into and um, reap the benefits of there is a that saturday night live skit which i only know because Dan and Caleb from Netflix and Swill, they modeled one of their early promos uh, after this sketch. And it's uh, the one where Chris Farley, it's Chris Farley and Adam Sandler. And Adam Sandler wants to, I think, wants to mow your lawn. And Chris Farley is like... The Hurley Boy. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Let, let's hear it, Julio. Let's hear what's wrong with the Hurley boy. No, I'm just saying that's, I, I actually find that funny. Like that's, you know, it's concentrated Chris Farley. He's doing his Chris Farley thing where he gets louder and, and, and more passionate and just like starts yelling. But, but because it's just, uh, it's a very simple joke and it just, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It does, it's not a movie that lasts like 90 minutes about Adam Sandler trying to mow lawns and Chris Farley trying to sell you his services. You know, it's just like, it's a skit and that works for me, you know, because I just watch it and it's like five minutes and then I can move on with my life. Uh, so that's really funny. Can, can we please <laughs> stop this cruel game? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I've used that several times as reactions on shit on online. Sweet mother of God, what is the holdup? Let the boy sleep in your damn bed. He said he'd wash the sheets. Yeah? Yeah, I, I can see. I don't know. It's so hard to see where you're coming from, but I can. It's just because this guy played such like a. And I'm not the exclusive example to this. This guy. This guy influenced and shaped so many people's young dudes sense of humor in the, you know, the early 90s and shit. And, and like I've told you that even before Tommy Boy and stuff, the the importance Saturday Night Live has held in my life. And that's something you don't share. So this is like one of the most, um, I guess, feverish, or fervent examples of this, of me having such this passionate attachment to it that. I'm struggling to see another perspective, but I can I can begrudgingly see where you're coming from. But do you, uh, I mean, you have actors or actresses that you feel the same way about, right? Uh, I can't no, think yeah. of anybody right now, but there, you have Tilda to have people. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a comedian that you don't like. You're like, I just don't like him. I just don't don't think he's funny. Amy Schumer. There you go. Okay, so like Amy Schumer, when you see her, like you go like, I understand. I've come to peace with the fact that, you know, there are people that find her funny and I'm not one of those people. Yeah, that's fair. So that's that's kind of, uh, yeah, where I am with him. I don't know. You know, it's like given more time, What if Chris Farley hadn't like been taken away from us at 33 and he had had like two more decades of movies under his belt right now. Like, maybe yeah. I would feel differently, you know? It's like, fuck. I mean, if Adam Sandler had, like, stopped making movies at 32 or 33, I probably think a lot, I'll think less of him as, as, as a performer. Because I have, like, a similar idea of, like, oh, it's just that guy that gets angry and talks with a funny voice. But, you know, what if we had gotten to see Chris Farley's Punch Strong Love or Chris Farley's uh, work with the Safdie brothers? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a, a good question, you know. So I'm not saying that he wasn't talented. Like, he clearly was, and he did a thing, and he did it very well for the people that like that thing. It's just that it wasn't We mine. never got his here come the boom, here comes the boom. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> Transitional. Yeah, here comes the boom. Punch on glove. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's always <laughs> the take, is that Kevin James just basically – filled in for him because grown-ups is like the 92 snl cast of dudes rob schneider's in that too right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's fucking chris rock adam sandler david spade rob schneider is that if he squint is that chris farley oh no it's kevin james (laughs) damn (laughs) uh interesting um i found in a piece from cnn that they ran uh on june 2nd of 1998 so it would have been 
in the days following the movie's release. The day before, they ran a movie review that was titled Almost Heroes is Almost Worthless. Uh, it's a pretty mean-spirited review, so I didn't feel the need to call it out. But This article is called Matthew Perry Talks Addiction Heroes. You know how those headlines are? Mm-hmm. Comma here. Yeah, yeah. And this was uh, Mark Shearer, uh, New York City, CNN. Matthew Perry finds himself at an interesting point in his acting career. After a brush with drugs and tragedy... He has a new movie in theaters and a promising new season ahead on the hit NBC comedy Franz. (laughs) Perry stars in the comedy Almost Heroes, which hit theaters nationwide this past weekend. The movie about two would-be heroes who try to out-explore Lewis and Clark across the Louisiana Purchase placed seventh at the box office in its opening week, taking in $2.8 million. Perhaps most notably, it is the last movie to star comedian Chris Farley, who died of a drug overdose in December of 1997. Almost Heroes is a standard slapstick humor, the kind of comedy that made Farley famous. Although Perry was working closely with Farley, he says between comedic takes, he saw no signs indicating the deadly turn Farley's life would take. He was completely straight while we were doing the movie, Perry said, and I guess at the culmination of the film, things turned bad for him. Perry, who battled his own addiction to prescription painkillers last year, said he and Farley often talked about recovery. He said he was shocked by Farley's death, but knows from experience that an addicted person often refuses help from others. The thing is that nobody can make anybody do anything, Perry said, and you can have talk after talk after talk, but the person who is in trouble really needs to want to not be in trouble for it to work out. Perry says he's thankful he was able to see signs before his addiction got out of control. I guess it was around April 1997 that I realized the level, the severity of the problem that I was having, Perry admitted. And I'm really proud that I kind of stepped up to the bat and took care of it. For me, it was a no-brainer. It was just, this is obviously what I have to go do. Now Perry is looking forward to another season on the sitcom Friends. In the latest episode, Perry's character Chandler slept with Courtney Cox's character Monica. Told you. And you did. I'm amazed at how a lot of people have come up to me and said, that's about time that happened, Perry said. (laughs) And I'm trying to figure out because we never really set anything up. It just kind of happened. Perry says it will be fun to pursue that storyline when the show returns in the fall. Mr. Hunt, as my partner, you should be naming some of our discoveries as well. Uh, me? Yes. You brought it up in Contreras Corner, and you're right. Like, this movie doesn't seem interested in capitalizing the combined strength of Matthew Perry and Chris Farley. <laughs> it no. just keeps them separated for long for long stretches of time and then when he when it, they come together they just don't seem to mesh very well most of the time and that's that's just another thing that doesn't work. Like I think you can probably feel it, right? Even as somebody who enjoys Chris Farley's work, you can feel that Matthew Perry kind of gets in the way of it. In this movie? Yeah, and, and vice versa. I don't know if Farley gets in the way as much as I just... I I don't think they knew what to do with Matthew Perry. I think they... Okay, so what I think is they wrote this for Chris Farley, and then they just wrote this for anybody else. Because he can act like Chandler all he wants, but like the, the dialogue they give him and the demeanor they give him is just not going to speak to his strengths. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to make clear, just because I, I spent all of Real Talk just burying... Matthew Perry and I actually I think he's great in Friends I mean I mentioned that he's my my favorite uh, out of the cast and I think he's really funny and I've seen some of his other movies uh, I've I've seen Fools Rush In and I remember thinking at least when I watched it it was a perfectly acceptable romantic comedy with Salma Hayek and 
Chandler from Friends. <laughs> Not a great I don't know movie. why, but <laughs> since we've been talking about Chandler, one of my legitimately favorite jokes I've ever seen on Friends is I don't even remember who he does it to, but Chandler can't go, Witch! he goes, whoopah, like yep. making the, okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but since we've been talking about Chandler, that's been in my head and it's been making me giggle internally. Yeah, uh, he's he's really funny. And uh, I think that the it's not a problem. I mean, it's a problem in this movie, but generally it's not a problem if all he can do in, in movies is act like Chandler because, you know, that's pretty funny. That's a pretty funny type of character. And so when he's playing Chandler opposite Salma Hayek and Fools Rush In, or he's playing Chandler opposite uh, Bruce Willis in the whole nine yards, at least from what I remember, it works. It's fine. So yeah, it, it's it's just that here I do feel that he gets in the way of uh, Chris Farley's shenanigans on top of everything else that's that's wrong with the movie so to quickly follow up on my point here julio uh i read this right after i said it uh farley was the first actor to be cast for it so i think there was more effort to you know mold the writing around him because the writers originally were writing it for uh the role of leslie edwards for hugh laurie uh wow but but Turner told them no because he wasn't a recognizable enough actor. Uh, they then went to Hugh Grant and Bill Murray, who both turned it down, and then Matthew Perry took it. So he got it by like the fourth rewrite. But uh, that is such a different type of energy from all those other people. Oh, that- dude, yeah, jumping all around. That's just like, again, this is our destiny, Julio, to write the tell-all book on this movie because there's like four <laughs> drastically different scripts out there, or at least the writing of the uh leslie edwards character is drastically different can you imagine benedict cumberbatch playing uh leslie edwards who would be uh hunt today well no i'm just saying like you know transpose him to like opposite chris farley like we're bending (laughs) time and space to make this happen but just because hugh laurie gives me cumberbatch vibes except that he is you're right he's not as big a star but you know i imagine turner wouldn't have had a problem with you know having Doctor Strange in his movie. I'm trying to think of like a line Matthew Perry has in this movie, like that because Benedict Cumberbatch with that <laughs> deep British accent that he you know he it goes through his teeth most of the time. And I'm trying to, an angel sent from the heavens. I don't know. Oh, well, he's talking what, about his penis dripping. Oh, <laughs> it it drips the normal amount when it's supposed to. Uh, yeah. Again, that's not the type of shit that I'm going to stand up for. Before I forget, before I, you know, we wrap it up here, uh, and to our listeners also, if Airheads is amazing, if you haven't seen that, you need to. And I think it's the closest thing I'm going to get to Julio. You know, I, it's not a Chris Farley movie at all. There's like five people I would say are the star of that movie before Chris Farley. He has a very reserved role and really only has one moment of like. Oh, I'm Chris Farley. But I think the problem is that movie gets lumped in sometimes with those 90s comedies that we mentioned, you know, the Billy Madisons and shit. Whereas, kind of like The Wedding Singer, it's a legitimately good movie. Airheads is fantastic. So, Julio, I need you to hop on HBO Max at some point and check out that movie. Looking over Farley's filmography, it's the best bet we have at you and I agreeing on one of them. Uh, I think that, they, honestly, the best bet is uh, isolated SNL skits. Well, Wayne's World 2 also, because that's a movie I don't know how someone couldn't just think is incredible, and he has a very small part in it. But um, 
Yeah, again, these movies I'm listing are movies where he has like maybe five minutes of screen time. I understand the issue for you is just overload of Farley. Yeah, yeah, Farley overload. I mean, that can be a good thing for someone like you, not so much for someone like me. Yeah, it is with no pleasure, Alex, that I give this movie... <sighs> Man, yeah, I gotta, I gotta be honest with my feelings. I give it one star, I guess. It's better than, you know, the, the truly upsetting movies like No Holds Barred or <laughs> Hancock. Like movies that make me mad. Yeah. This was this just it was just not funny. And it annoyed me, not not on the Farley side, on the Matthew Perry side. But who knows, you know, poor guy, maybe he <laughs> he didn't realize how you know what he was getting into. Like you said, he hasn't made any period pieces since then. So <laughs> learn this lesson. Uh, yeah. I mean, for the defense I've put up for this movie and the things I've said I liked about it, I'm not going to pretend it's great. I'm not going to pretend it's on the same level as Wayne's World 2 or Airheads or even Tommy Boy. So for that, I'll give it a C. I think it's uh, it's fun. It's a romp. It's got some really good laughs in it. And like I said, the shit that's gone the sets costuming um like a, a, an original score all this shit just for this ridiculous comedy that's done all your comedies now are going to be based in real time with fucking or some kind of like 80s aesthetic with people in coffee shops and i don't know record stores and shit instead of <laughs> boats and cabins <laughs> Uh, the joke is, uh, I told you when we first announced we were doing this movie, so I was surprised you didn't remember it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is it when the, the the guy that's married, the the straw woman, when he says, fuck, like Matthew Perry's talking to him, and he's like, you know she's made of straw, right? And he goes, uh, yeah, I figured that's why she caught fire so fast. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. He, he has permission to go below and check on me, lady. And Matthew Perry, uh, you do realize she's made a straw. Oh, yes, sir. Figured that's why she burns so easy. That, uh, Like, every time I've watched this movie, that's like a yell <laughs> laugh. And at this point, I know it's coming. It's just so perfect because it's, it's, again, the, the type of shit that I have way more, you know, facility for than you do where they because they the whole thing is they spend this time like he cries when she's dying and shit and then so like for you to find out in the end he's just crazy uh, instead of like you know whatever the case he's in on the joke that type of thing it's just a build up for him to just go yeah i know it, it's it's hilarious to me see i what i found funnier than that was just the the final movement in that whole subplot is that he eats it. It's the, the <laughs> yeah. straw woman. <laughs> I had forgotten about that, but yeah, everyone's starving and it shows him just eating the straw out of that woman. Uh, yeah. And that whole scene where they walk in and see the straw women again, it's just, it's not high comedy. It's not, you know, this is for the crowd that this is for the jackass crowd type of people. But no, but they... see, I, I think that's funny. I, I actually, that moment is funny. Not the, because the, the the way that the guy reacts, like he doesn't acknowledge that they're straw women, like, yeah, and so he he acts a little. Offended. They may be whores, <laughs> but they still have their dignity, sir. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 
And then just like the whole thing of, like I said, you know, you haven't eaten in 10 days and then someone puts a steak dinner in front of you type thing. Cause they start looking at him and then their expressions immediately change and they start like eyeing him up and down. It's just, it's stupid, but it's very funny to me. And then the guy comes out from the room and he's like, I'm sorry, this doesn't usually happen to me. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. It's a C it's, I think as is evidenced by this conversation, Julio and I have and could continue to have just about this movie. There's, there's something interesting about this. And it's not necessarily what you get from, you know, start to finish in the actual film. So I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to pretend this is a great movie, but I enjoy it. I would recommend it to people who are fans of Chris Farley and just in general of 90s comedies. Uh, One final note. Yeah. Because you said recommend it to fans of Chris Farley. I wouldn't recommend it to fans of Christopher Guest. If somehow you land on this movie following the Christopher Guest trail, this is very much not a Christopher Guest movie. Whether you Confirmed. like it or not, wouldn't you agree, Alex? Uh, yes, wholeheartedly, 100%. Yeah. Definitive. Uh, I don't know if it was like ghost-directed or if he kind of gave up halfway through. Or I, I think it's telling you read about that producer that was saying that you know they had a good script and they got a good director. So that means that, uh, and it makes sense, that this... This wasn't like didn't come from the mind of Christopher Guest, but more like he was a hired gun, uh, which you know makes sense. But still, definitely not what you would expect from that filmmaker. So that's probably gonna be my biggest takeaway, honestly, from Almost Heroes. That I didn't know it was a Christopher Guest movie, and that kind of makes it worse. I forgot also to put over the joke of when they meet the Native American tribe and they introduce themselves and. The who we believe is the leader is slapping Chris Farley and they get into like a slapping fight back and forth and he slaps Matthew Perry and then someone else from the tribe comes up and he's like, what's this guy's problem? He's like, he's just not right in the head. And then he just like stares at him and like runs away. It's, it's funny to me. <laughs> sure was funny to some people. The, the reason group. I thought of that is because Farley is just sweating buckets in that scene. And I was reading about they shot this in the summer in California outside. So in those outfits and shit they were in, heat posed a major challenge for the summer shoot. So they. All right. Chandler has been covered. Uh, I believe Julio said Phoebe's on deck next. Moving. Yes. To a far more well-known and celebrated 90s film. That you haven't seen, right? Saw it once, did not get the hype. So I'm curious how this revisit's going to go. Okay. Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion is next. Same as you, Alex. I've seen it once. And uh, I was, I don't know. I, I, I was, I wouldn't say confused by the hype. I was just, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not that. So I think that the time I watched it, I was not aware of its cultural significance. Because that movie, it's kind of, iconic in certain like areas of the internet oh yeah and so i yeah i look forward to reevaluating it uh you know fresh eyes fresh 2022 eyes and uh as a special treat our friend Stu from the Stu world order podcast is going to join us he's never seen it uh we we've been discussing potential episodes for him to guest on and i gave him a list and he picked romeo michelle because he's never seen it so that should be fun that's Phoebe up next, but don't worry, uh, 
patrons, you get a little bit more Chandler because, like we mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing the whole nine yards. We're going to be talking about that on the after hours. So the French extravaganza continues. Rages on. All right, Julio. Is that going to do it for this? That's going to do it for this. Get us out of here. All right. We'll go ahead and move into perennial plugs where we start off by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. Uh, he's a very talented guy. He has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. And he also writes novels. He's written a whole bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels. You can check out his work at his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. And if you want to talk to him about it, you can reach out to him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And we thank Ms. Zoe Perez for her support as well, helping out with our social media game. If you're on Facebook and you haven't already, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Give us a follow. You'll find some exclusive videos previewing upcoming uh, movies that we're covering with clips not previously heard in the show or aired. Uh, Instagram, at Contrarian Prime. You can find us on there as well. You'll find clips from our recent episodes, interactive graphics, images, teasers for upcoming episodes and projects as well. Zoe takes care of all that for us, so we are deeply appreciative for the work she puts in. So that is going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. It's summer of 99.